1: Uh, Definitely. So, uh, when I was starting out, right, I actually uh, was looking for uh, very popular use cases like um, autonomous uh, driving as well as gesture recognition. Uh, But there's this particular video that I found. It was about a a lady named Tanya. And she actually had a lot of problems as in she was unable to speak and move. And she helped Google to develop a uh, a machine learning software which was uh, which could use uh, which people with disabilities could could use uh, to generate sign to generate uh, sign language as well as uh, the MOS code. So because of her stories, uh, we have uh, I mean the Google integrated that. Uh, MOS code generator machine using machine learning into their their mobile phones. So I think that is something that I'm really looking forward to. That is to help people um, into developing something of their own and helping the community eventually. So yeah, so the work that I'm doing currently, gesture recognition is mostly for developing a model for Indian sign language, uh, which I want uh, to open source so that other people can maybe draw some inspiration and do something which is which I mean which could be used uh, to help people which, uh, with disabilities.
0: That's really great. Um, there's so many applications to the gesture recognition because we um, communicate with natural language, but we also communicate with body language or when you're talking to someone, if they are not paying attention, you get the idea that, uh, they're not interested. Um, if they are communicating and, uh, their pupils are dilating and, you know, they're looking at you really intense, uh, either they're very interested or they're angry or, um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, body language communication that's going on. How, how did, uh, your, how did it work? Um, for her, I'm interested to find out, can you kind of walk us through a day using the software? What kind of things was she able to do with it?
1: Okay, um, so uh, currently, um, I mean, one point that you mentioned that I really like is that, um, you know, attention, uh, looking at the uh, sign language, uh, looking at the body, body language. I think that's very good, but that's very cool um, because similar thing is happening in China right now. I think in classrooms, they have installed these cameras Uh, which can, uh, you know, monitor all the students and they can tell what's the attention span of each student based on their uh, body language as as well as their eye movement, where exactly they are looking. So I think it has a lot of cases. Uh, And now coming back to your question about uh, how the day is like, basically. Uh, So, of course, I mean, before, before machine learning and AI, things were pretty difficult for people with, Um, um, you know, who are specially uh, abled. Uh, But with the advent of these technologies, I think people are getting, um, uh, I mean, you know, people uh, like Tanya now have some sort of help in which, um, you know, uh, they can use uh, Morse code as well as sign language to to, uh, communicate. So for when I was starting out, uh, when learning about uh, sign language, I first had to study for about two or three months about Indian sign language, okay? And then once I have had some idea, I was able to uh, develop some prototype. Uh, so basically this, what this prototype does is that based on the, uh, uh, the sign that the person is uh, communicating, I can record that and via webcam, I can directly get those images of the person uh, signing. And then I can convert that uh, into a sentence or a word or a gesture. And then, uh, I'm a, let's say, even if I don't know sign, if a person does not know sign, he will be able to understand uh, what exactly the person is trying to convey. Uh, and the problem with Indian sign language is that we have different sign languages for different regions. So within, uh, let's say, in India, there are, let's say, 20 to 25 different sign languages uh, for different regions. We, and in America, in, in the US, we have only one American sign language system. So I think this is that is pretty... Uh, you know, a very universal in uh, American Sign Language. So what I'm looking for is to maybe have a proposal in which I would encourage every uh, school uh, of for, for sign language in India to follow a specific pattern uh, so that all the signs within India could be universal. So that is something that I'm looking forward to.
0: Uh, you know, you mentioned that you also did autonomous cars and uh, I see the correlation here between the sign language because when a car is driving, it's having a conversation. Um, it's looking at objects and it's to the right. It's saying, okay, I'm coming to an intersection. I see the, uh, the intersection light and it's uh, red. Red means to stop. Oh, I see a pedestrian to the left. The pedestrian's walking from left to right. Uh, do not proceed until the pedestrian's across uh, the intersection. Oh, I see a bicyclist to my right. Um, it's not obeying the, the rules. It's going to swerve in front of me. I need to slow down. So I, I could see some universal um, applications here where you, you're creating conversations because you definitely want to have a conversation with an autonomous driving car um, that is creating a script so that if there were an accident or if it did made an improper decision, uh, you could review the, the script. How did uh, Tanya do when she started using your software? Did she find it um, fast enough? Was she doing the sign languages and it was getting the signs right 90% of the time? Or was she saying things that didn't make sense? And then um, you had to build software to kind of like grammatically parse it and, and try to figure out the yeah. proper words. So, so
1: basically, I mean, uh, the, the, the story about Tanya, right? Uh, she actually uh, is kind of an inspiration. I did not get to work with her, uh, but uh, I would share the link with you. She actually worked worked with Google into coming up with a software for Morse code. Uh, I am currently working on sign language, uh, which is still in kind of development phase, what I'll say. So the first phase is complete, which means that in that phase, I have uh, looked at only static images. Right. So I'm able to uh, convert and translate static images uh, to get the results. But the next phase for my sign language would be to have a sequential model as in based on the context. Let's say if I have to say a sentence, right, a sentence will become uh, comprised of number of words and each word will have a, a different gesture. Right. So based on the context, I want to develop a model which I uh, I am currently working on that is basically it will take each gesture um, and then it will translate the entire, uh, ge- I mean, the, I mean the, all the gestures and form a sentence out of it. So that is a bit complicated as in you have to pass the context from the uh, first word to the last word uh, in the sign language. Uh, but yeah, I think that is uh, kind of interesting because that is, that is going to help me reach out to a lot of, uh, I mean, a, a variety of, uh, you know, uh, signs. So currently it's only about starting images. I'm looking at one image. I'm trying to map it to a specific gesture, but going forward, I'm definitely looking to go ahead and map the entire sentence or maybe even paragraph to a specific gesture uh, so that it helps people to convey the whole context and not just one specific gesture.
0: Yeah, that's what I would say with communication that's important. Because when you look at it a sentence, when, you know, we're talking, we're conveying uh, complete ideas. Yeah. And um, so it's difficult just with one gesture to complete an idea.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: Can you talk about um, your autonomous driving? I, I'm really interested. Uh, before we go to that, what type of classifier do you use? Are you using uh, machine learning, machine um, uh, learning? What, what type of image recognition software or yeah maybe talk about the software did you write your own software yes um,
1: definitely i think that's a very good question yeah um so when we talk about uh, autonomous driving right it comprises of different parts uh so one part is um uh, is detecting the pedestrians on the on the street one part can be detecting the uh, let's say uh, different objects on the street one part could be detecting the um, the traffic signal on the street, right? So these are different uh, modules within autonomous driving, which should work together in in harmony to make uh, a fully functional autonomous driving. So what I, the the model that I created was it's called as a behavioral cloning, which means that given a image of the road, I should be able to predict the angle at which my steering wheel should be at. Okay, so that's, one, that's the first thing. So there's a very good research paper by NVIDIA uh, where they gave us the data, uh, which was images and per image, they actually mentioned the steering angle that should be. So let's say if there's an, there's an image of, of a road where there's a left turn, then the angle would be somewhere tending towards, a, towards, towards the left side of the screen, which means that I have to take, take a left turn. Uh, so for this model, uh, I used uh, a, a very simple um, uh, a neural network uh, which was basically a deep uh, CNN network. CNNs are used because it's actually very helpful when it comes to images and I wanted to uh, so basically um, the, the, the main goal was to get the uh, uh, get the sitting angle based on the road. So I just wanted to separate out the road from the entire image because the entire image was, was uh, pretty huge and it was difficult for somebody uh, to uh, calculate and it will take more time to calculate on the entire image. So what I did was I first of all scaled the image and only took out the road section of that image. And for that, I applied several filters uh, using vision. And then when I I found out only the roads, like the roads and some of the other stuff, uh, then I was able to feed that into into a CNN network. And based on the different uh, networks, and it was a very simple network. I had, I think, two CNN networks. And then at the end, I'm, I was uh, predicting the steering angle. And then I was using a mean squared error function to make sure that the the angle which the model predicts and the actual angle are somehow similar. And then based on that, I was uh, making predictions on the runtime. And if you look at the, the video, what happens is uh, based on the based on the road, my steering wheel is at uh, is tilting at a certain angle. So that is uh, that was pretty much it. The idea behind the the model was to make sure that I use as as less resource as possible, and to build a better model. So if you look at the uh, the Nvidia paper, they were actually using one hundred and three thousand uh, trainable parameters. Uh, but because I was separating out only the roads, I could Train the same model with similar accuracy with only seventy thousand uh, trainable parameters, which is a considerable up- upgrade. And people with we don't, which don't have access to GPUs, can also train it in uh, less time. So I think that's a that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. Um, so when you are talking about the algorithm that uh, detects the road, and then if you're like you're making a left turn, it uh, Uh, leans to the or turns to the left Um, did it was it you said it was calculating using a uh, mean square algorithm so you were doing some sort of curve fitting to the to the road so it was it was uh, looking at uh, points out into the future and it was or along the line or the spline and then it was calculating what it thinks would be the new position and then it calculates that angle to that position Using the CNN neural nets, how um, how do you how did you keep from um, it running off the road? For example, what if it what if it uh, um, saw an area that was dipping down lower? How did you keep from running off the road? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think I think that's a very good problem because I faced similar issue. Um, so basically, what what happened was I was training too much on the training data. And therefore, when I was running it on on a new video, right, new video of of, of a road or of a car ride, uh, my predictions were all over the place. So even for the left turn, I was taking a right turn. Uh, so that was a bit concerning for me because uh, even though I had made a good model and I did a lot of uh, uh, data cleansing, but still the model was not performing well. So in that case, what I would recommend is probably go back to the drawing board start or start uh, you know may- maybe you'll know, do something with the network architecture because most of the time the network architecture is the backbone of your model so for that I uh, so clearly after a couple of uh, you know iterations I was clear that I was overfitting the training data which means that I had trained my model too much on the training data and whenever the, he was the model was seeing a new image he was unable to predict it because I was tra- I have trained my model too much. So for that, uh, this is a, a typical problem of overfitting. Uh, so for that, if you want to solve that, you have to, uh, you know, there are a couple of uh, things that you could do. I went for a dropout method. So in the dropout method, what happens is, you are supposed to um, block a certain network, a certain uh, nodes in the network, uh, so that the model learns from all the nodes. So I'll give you a, a very easy example. So let's say if uh, there are two uh, two features which are unrelated. Let's say let's say we, uh, let's say for for uh, for instance, the average age for entering a beauty pageant has decreased over ten years. Right. So let's say in in nineteen nineties it was twenty four. Then over the period of time it decreased to let's say twenty, and then the average crime rate also decreased in 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 let's say in india from about 20 percent it decreased to 15 percent and let's say if these two and um, by common sense you can see that these two uh, features are completely different but let's say if you feed this to a model maybe the model will have a correlation that you know the fall in the crime rate is directly proportional to the fall in the Uh, age for entering a beauty pageant okay so for that you have to make sure that the model learns from different nodes within the network and not just from a specific nodes so the dropout what it does is that it blocks certain nodes from learning uh, for some period of time so that other nodes can also learn so this actually helps uh, into uh, when you are overfitting it helps to make sure that all the nodes getting get equal amount of attention from the network and all of them are trained properly. So this is one thing that I use and it's very uh, effective in, in uh, networks here yeah, in neural networks. And yeah. And then after that, the problem was solved after, I think I used a dropout and I blocked around 40% of the nodes at one iteration and it was working fine after that.
0: That's great. So, um, also going back to the sign language, uh, did you use uh, uh, TensorFlow? I mean, can you use TensorFlow in the driving to create kind of a natural language script of what's going on? So you're now following the road through using splines and uh, angles and CNN networks, but you also have to recognize what's going on. You need to know the interactions of objects around you because not everything is going to be static. There's a tree. Uh, static there's a rock that's static but then when you get to an intersection in india it's going to be very difficult for you to navigate if you don't know what other cars are doing and they have to and it has to be there has to be some probability of what other cars are doing because if someone hugs their horn that is an indicator um, and sound that it's safe for you to proceed so you're going to accelerate if someone is moving towards you in a dominant uh, manner, like if their proximity, you're saying, oh, the, the person is approaching me at a rapid pace, uh, you might want to yield because they're exerting their dominant dominance in that driving pattern. So it has to know what the objects are around them. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit on how you would handle those situations? Yeah, definitely.
1: I think, I think that's a great... Uh, my great point so basically as i mentioned that you know uh for autonomous driving you have to take care of a lot of things so the particular uh point that you mentioned about the the drive or the path so this this actually comes under the uh, path planning uh algorithm in which the the car has to predict a different number of uh of paths that you know it it might take because let's say if there are two cars and I am driving an autonomous car and my path, the prediction of the path is, you know, I'll, I'll swerve between those two cars, but what if the the car on the right comes to the center and then I'll have to, at runtime, make sure that that I predict that the car on the right has moved to the left. And now I have to take a right turn again and then swerve from the right of the center car. Uh, So I think that's very interesting. One of the things that we could do is have, different um, what can you say different sensors on the car so it's not just a, a, a camera in the front there could be cameras on the side as well there could be cameras uh, on the top which could uh, get a clear view of the road ahead uh, and one thing that that i actually uh, was working on is basically uh, we can de- develop a model for detecting cars um, you know on the road and let's say if and i can also detect the car and i can also also detect the area of the car let's say in terms of a rectangle uh, which will, which should will be ahead of me and let's say if that person applies applies brake right so the car will come close to me as an i'll move towards the car therefore the area of the car will actually increase because if the car is far then the area if you look at, if you look from the back the area of the car will be small if you move close to it the area of the car will become big so we can apply some sort of threshold value and that if the car the area of the car which is ahead of you is um, greater than some threshold value which means that you know i should also apply brakes because probably the person who's driving the car ahead of me has also applied brake and so yeah we can have these sort of thresholds, value different sensors uh to make sure that uh, we have a good model running and one other th- technique that i uh, would probably recommend is to have everything on the edge that is the calculation should be done done on the cloud uh, because it is quicker you can have uh, uh, even if uh, you know if your model takes a lot of uh, time to predict that doesn't matter you can have more compute power on the cloud so the, the the car can only just send data and get the response as quickly as possible because even a fraction of second matters in such situations. So that's one thing that um, then I will probably say is more is the most important is to have everything on the cloud and the the car should just communicate and the training and the prediction should be done on the cloud itself and not in the car.
0: Well, you know, you got we have uh, sensors now uh, that are getting lower costs like the lender, lidar, L I D A R, yeah, um, is becoming cheaper. Talk to me about how um you think the the machine would uh negotiate a car that's making a left-hand turn in front of you where there is no traffic signal you don't have a traffic light it uh, wants there's a you're moving on the busy roads of india and it wants to turn left so it's indicating it wants to go yeah Uh, would it would it slow down or would it say okay i'm going to keep going forward um there has to be a conversation between the objects. Yeah. In other words, it's detecting some objects and there's some sort of language that's going on there. Can you talk on
1: that? Yeah, so let's say if a car ahead of me is going to take a left turn and I need to know about that. Uh, So as a human being, it's easy, right? You can uh, just see and look at the car, which is slowing down. And then also you can look at the indicator, which will be blinking towards the left side. So yeah, so that's how humans will learn. And maybe what we could do is... uh, uh, you know have uh, uh, a camera which can uh, see the car ahead of you and first of all as i mentioned that if if it will slow down right it will come close to uh, to to my car and the area of the car will increase if i look at it so yeah so i'll probably have an understanding that you know it's, it is slowing down so i'll also decrease my place similar uh, decrease my pace similarly and then i can also detect the if there are any indicators involved or not So let's say if the indicator is of yellow color, I can have a detector of yellow color uh, within the screen. And if I am able to see that, you know, the left side of the car is blinking, which means that the car will probably take a left turn and it is slowing down as well, which means that, you know, it's most probably will take a left turn. Uh, So in that way, the communication is happening between my car and the car in front. And when, so I'll also slow down. If I have to take a left turn, I'll follow the car or if I have to take a right turn, I can just swerve towards the right and then go straight ahead. So yeah, I think very this, this is a very important point that um, all the machines should be should be communicating at all times, um, and because we have to pass information uh, from one car to one And I think these sensors, like the the lidar sensor that you mentioned, I think all of them uh, have enough data to uh, you know help us take a informed decision you know and
0: um also it could um there's a conversation so you said it it would then detect uh, the signal but also it could be watching uh the driver's um eyes or or face for example if the person is really intense and they want to look you know they're signaling with their facial gestures that they want to uh make a left-hand turn you might yield to them Uh, so your box that you were talking about in proximity it's getting smaller as you're getting closer to that car, but the other person signaling in their body language, just like with the sign language, that they want to do a
1: left-hand turn. You might want to slow down if if it passes a certain threshold. Yeah, definitely. I think think that's a good point because, let's say, if if they have to take a left turn, they'll keep looking towards the left of the screen, and that is an indication that, uh, you know, maybe they have something which interests them on the left side. Maybe they want to take a left turn, or maybe they just want to stop. Uh, So, yeah, that's an indication that, uh, you know, that, should be communicated to uh, to my car. And then, yeah, and then based on the feedback, I can maybe slow down I take a right turn and, you know, overtake them from the right. But yeah, I think it's important to have, because we now we have all these sensors which can help us make a more informed decision. So the more sensors that we have, uh, as long as they don't uh, become too heavy, because we need to make sure that all the predictions are done in near real time. So we cannot have let's say 100 different uh, sensors because collecting data from them and then sending them them to prediction, making predictions and then getting the results back can take a lot of time. So yeah, I think, but having these sensors is actually going to help us uh, into making a more, uh, you know, a well-informed uh, choice um, a, a while driving autonomous cars. Yeah.
0: So um, there's two approaches that you said you, you wanted to use the cloud Uh, like with a high, 5G or something where it's transmitting really fast and lots of data is being streamed up into the cloud and it's processing. What about the NVIDIA where you have basically a a supercomputer in the back of your car and it's doing all the processing hardware real time?
1: Yeah, I think there's always a trade-off between uh, between these things because let's say if I have everything on the cloud, but the problem in India is that probably you might not get internet connection. Or maybe if you get internet connection, it might not be fast enough, right? So in these situations, it's better to have a supercomputer, maybe somewhere in the, in the back of the car so that the predictions are done as quickly as possible, right? But, uh, but the thing is that uh, that is going to strain the car more because you have to provide electricity to the computer. You need to have a cooling system uh, because these uh, computers tend to get, uh, you know, heated up a bit. Uh, so that actually comes to the trade-off. So, but if you do everything on the cloud, on the cloud, uh, things are a bit cheaper. Uh, we, can, uh, we have different cloud services, which provides us, um, you know, a lot of flexibility in terms of pricing as well as uh, the compute power. Uh, so, yeah, it, I think it depends on the use case as well as the the geographic region let's say in india it's difficult for for an autonomous car car to work on the internet because simply because there's not not enough internet at every place Uh, but let's say if you have good internet connection and you want something which is a bit cheaper then you can go for uh, uh, having uh, things on the cloud and uh, that that in that way you can communicate easily to the cloud yeah
0: Yeah, I think in the future, your mobile device will have enough computational power to do your driving, um, because it'll have the machine learning chips in it, it'll have the deep AI chips, it'll have, uh, you know, have the uh, multiple cameras, and you just put it, your mobile device into your car, and it'll do the computations for you. You know, I suggest my first reaction with a lot of the researches you're doing is that um, I see lots of correlations, uh, especially with your gesture t- technology where you're starting to interpret uh, different signs and in- indications of what per- people want to do with their gestures um, and also that translating over into the self-driving cars because the, the self-driving cars, we, there's a lot of signals, there's a lot of gestures um, that the other driver is doing that are indication, you know, like when you come to an intersection, uh, if another car starts inching forward, well, that your proximity detector will tell you that there was a, a change in the size of the box indicating the, the difference between your distance to the car. Um, and so is it if it sees a, uh, a series of pulses where um, the size of the box changes, that could be an indication that that other car is going to proceed into intersection and you should yield. Um, whereas... If you're if you be, there's a certain level of uncertainty who's going to go in the intersection maybe you accelerate through um, so there's this work with gestures and communication uh, not only just you know algorithms for detecting where the road is is going to be so
1: important for autonomous cars yeah definitely I think the point that you mentioned about uh, having high queued, uh, definitely I uh, at people are working on I, I see a lot of research that is being going on how to optimize these models how to make sure that these models you know very high high level heavy models can learn on uh, and work on uh, uh, low resources I think that's a very good uh, great point uh, TensorFlow has recently launched a TensorFlow Lite version in which are used for mobile devices I think that's the way forward because uh, it is important to have a good model. It is important to have a very accurate model, but at the same time, you should work. Um, uh, you should make make sure that your model uh, uses as less resources as possible. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a very good point that you mentioned. And apart from that, I feel that um, the yes, I definitely the, the the autonomous cars have come a long way uh, from where they were. I think a couple of years back, uh, but uh, with Tesla and Uber. Uh, They're trying to invest a lot of, uh, yeah, you know, resources in, into, into this uh, research. And I think uh, maybe let's say five or six years down the line, we'll have a much more, um, uh, you know, refined process of how to build a, a autonomous car, And yeah, and it's important to, um, you know, make sure that we have all the sensors which are up to the mark which can take readings in real time have, you know, all the proximity sensors and all the cameras up to date. But yeah, I think definitely maybe, you know, two or three years down the line, these cars will be much more efficient and much more uh, uh, powerful in the coming years. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that the more universal you get, uh, the wider uh, your acceptance will be in autonomous cars and uh, where um, you know, I've seen some cases where they, they've uh, tried to do stereo, um, stereographic driving where you set up two cameras, it creates kind of the two images, so now you can detect depth just from 2D imaging, and uh, then you use a CNN network or even a deep neural network with hidden features, and if you could in the pipeline, uh, get the, uh, the net so it could learn new objects while uh, it's driving, then over time, the car will actually get better at driving to the point that, you know, it can uh, recognize lots of images, uh, objects, and then transmit those objects up into the cloud or receive from the cloud uh, new training sets from other cars that are driving. So that um, I saw one case where it recognized a lady on a wheelchair. She's driving around in a circle in the middle of the road. Yeah. and it really did happen or where a bird flies across the road, you know, it has to recognize, uh, those, those images and, and try to respond. Uh, what if a dog runs out in front of you? Uh, it has to detect, you know, there's a dog that's running, uh, ran out in front of me. Do I hit it? Do I swerve uh, over and hit another car? It's going to have to make uh, some value judgments here. Uh, do I hit the, the dog or do I run into the other car Swerve and, and run into the other car? Um, can you speak to a little of some of those decision making
1: processes that the machine has to make yeah i think that is also uh, very important because let's say if something goes wrong, wrong right there are 10 different ways in a machine could react uh, but the machine has to do that in real time it has to calculate that, you know, if I take this decision, then ultimately it's going to uh, affect uh, these many people or ultimately it's going to affect me or ultimately I'm going to hit another car. So these decisions has to be taken in runtime. And this actually, I think, uh, I I, I watched the Teslas, um, uh, I mean, the ELD event that they have, and they were also referring to the same problem that, you know, if there is a certain mishap on the road in front, then the machine has to make sure that it has calculated every possible aspects and it is taking the least, uh, you know, least catastrophical decision of its all. So that will come uh, probably with with more knowledge, uh, with more subject matter expertise and with more data that you mentioned that, you know, because these cars will ultimately get more data, it's going to train other cars as well. So let's say if, if, the, if the version one is is maybe less successful, doesn't matter. The version two will have a lot of data and it will also have uh, the previous knowledge from the version one cars. So it's going to get better, uh, but we probably should probably, uh, you know, wait and find out exactly how these machines will, will work in, in some catastrophical, um, you know, uh, situation because that's when the machines will be tested to make sure that they make the right choice. So yeah.
0: So I I would say that the machines over time will make better choices. That's been my thesis is that that the reason why you wanna automate or continue to automate inside pipelines uh, is that the machine will have more access to data and so it'll make better decisions. Um, But we will have to have some way of understanding why the machine made the decision so that we can evaluate whether or not um, it res- it needs uh, additional training or if there's uh, bad data that's been fed into the
1: training that's causing it to make bad decisions. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, so it's important to have a good data set as it's more important to have a lot of data, but uh, also it is important to have uh, the data which is authentic and uh, you know, so some sort of manual, manual labor is still required to make sure that, uh, you know, we inspect the images, we inspect the training data. We probably, uh, you know, we maybe by hands so or maybe by a script, we can uh, make sure that we are only training on the data which is relevant to us. Uh, so that is one thing. Um, uh, the other thing is uh, is that, um, is a point that you mentioned, that uh, the network architecture has to... Uh, Um, you know, has to be powerful enough or has to be complex uh, enough to keep on learning with these new images, right? So let's say if we we use a traditional model, traditional machine learning model, it does not mean uh, that even if, let's say, you have a lot of data, the accuracy and the loss will not probably get better because that's how the model architecture is. So it's important to have a good architecture. At the same time, it's important to have good training data. Uh, and once we have that once we have an authentic training set, we have a, uh, have a good well-defined network architecture. I think, I think uh, with time and with experience, with expertise, uh, these models will eventually get better better. These cars will eventually um, be the uh, future. and I, I think companies like Tesla's and Uber are doing really good into investing in these technologies, uh, which I think uh, you know will be the future of, of uh, mankind.
0: Yeah, you know, right now the human being is the best driving machine, but in the future, um, you, you know, there's, uh, with so many distractions, people texting while they're driving, um, like lots of different, um, when you go into a new area and you have to navigate the roads, there's lots of new, new data that you're actually exposed to where a machine might actually do better because this is, it has more access to data. And the, you're, not, you're learning as you go. So it's a learning process while you're driving in new areas where for the machine, it's uh, just another set of new parameters and it's adjusting to those parameters. And maybe it's even has uh, data models for, for that area so it could navigate uh, faster and better. So maybe in the future, people will be moving around a lot quicker than they are today uh, because the machine is uh, running autonomously and it's making better decisions and it can make decisions so much faster. I'm not saying that people should uh, do everything to the team, but you can really see where uh, automation is, is uh, the preferred way to go. Uh, I was going to want you to talk just a brief moment. We're almost out of time, but I wanted you to talk about uh, your research in cancer. Did you, you um, what did you do in that field?
1: Uh, yeah. So basically um, uh So this was one of the first projects that I did it was for breast cancer classification. Um, So I think it's, it's one of the, uh, you know, when you're starting out, I'll recommend if somebody who is listening to this podcast and it's, you know, just starting out with machine learning, I'll recommend this uh, data set because this data set helps you solve a lot of uh, problems. First of all, it helps you in a social cause of course, but at the same time, I think it teaches you a lot. So, uh, let me just tell you briefly about the data set. So the dataset contains uh, date, uh, text data, um, uh, you know, column based data for around 600 patients. And these out of these 600 patients, uh, 50 patients had cancer. And the data set included uh, features like the area of the cell, uh, which is in question, and this uh, curvature of the cell, the radius of the cell, so things like that. So based on these values, the, uh, the the dimensions of the cells, we have to predict whether the cell is cancerous or benign. Uh, so, uh, but the important thing to notice here is that we only had fifty p- patients who were diagnosed with cancer, and the rest five fifty uh, were uh, were not. I mean, they, they were clearly fine. So let's say if I did nothing, and if even if for for every t- t- uh, record that I got, I even if I just say, I do not do any pr- processing, I could just say that the c- person does not have cancer, then also my accuracy will be high because out of fi- out of 600 times, 550 times I'll be correct because the data set is like that. Uh, but the important point here to notice is we have to make sure that these 50 patients are identified correctly. So this actually comes as a, a sparse data set problem that is... There's a lot of sparsity in the data set. And there, there are less number of uh, negative examples in this. So in, in in this case, we have to come up with a new metric. So accuracy is not our only metric because as we have only uh, already mentioned then, that even if we don't do any predictions, we can directly say that the person does not have cancer, we'll still have high accuracy. So we can come up with new metrics. Uh, so these new metrics are... Uh, basically, true positives, uh, true negatives, false positives and false negatives. Clearly, using these, we can come up with different uh, different uh, metrics, which is the F1 score uh, or the uh, precision recall. But let's just talk about these true positives and true negatives. So true positive states that the person has cancer and you have identified it, at, it as correctly, which is a good thing. Then we have false negatives. That is, the person did not have cancer. And we have also predicted that the person did not have cancer, which is a good thing. Then comes true negative. That is a person had cancer, but he said that that person did not have cancer. So this actually is the metric that we had to, uh, uh, you know, uh, minimize. We wanted to make sure that we had enough data to make that prediction and say that, you know, the person, if he's suffering from cancer, we can say that, you know, you are suffering from cancer. And the fourth metric states that uh, if the person is not suffering from cancer, we can predict or we say that the person is suffering from cancer, which is still bad, but it is okay because at a later stage, the person will come to realize that, you know, he does not have cancer. So it's a good thing. But we have to make sure to catch all the cancer patients so that the treatment can be done at an early stage. So this problem, uh, this, uh, this question helped me understand that accuracy is not the only metric. It's not just about the accuracy. It's about, you know, making sure that I have all the uh, possible outcomes covered in the model. And that's how your model becomes uh, very efficient.
0: Oh, that's pretty uh, clever. Um, so what, what for the ones that uh, they said that they had cancer, but they really didn't have cancer, how uh, distressing would that be? So, yeah. Do you, do you mitigate that and say, well, you know, we're going to ha- so, basically, for, for
1: each each uh, each prediction, we come up with a, a, a confidence value. That is, you know, we can say with this percentage of confidence that you don't have cancer. Or we say that with this percent of confidence, you have cancer. Uh, so, of course, maybe, uh, let's say, if we say a person has cancer, but he, he did not have it, we can, uh, you know, go ahead and ask uh, uh, him to undergo other tests, other medical tests. And maybe at a later stage, maybe, you know, like uh, after the tests are done, he will be relieved that he did not have cancer. But at the same time, we wanted to catch all the cancer.
0: So it's worth, it's worth the, the alert. Yeah. Okay. Well, Akshay, um, our time's up. Uh, do you, do you want to just share anything exciting? Um, you just said you were working on gestures. Uh, is there anything other things that are exciting that you're working on in the future?
1: Uh, So currently, uh, my main area of focus is to uh, minimize the resources that are being used for uh, training and network. And I have done some sort of uh, research on that, and I've come up with some best practices, uh, uh, which I uh, will be, um, you know, open sourcing uh, pretty soon, so that anybody who is uh, working on networks, deep networks, or CNNs, can look at that, uh, you know, best practice document and, uh, maybe have uh, you know maybe tried a few things and if that helps him then that's good enough and then apart from that I'm working on the sign language project which I think is very important to me uh, because in I think in India it's, it's very necessary to have uh, you know people supporting each other and people supporting uh, uh, children and kids with uh, special abilities uh, but apart from that I would encourage everybody to start and um you know maybe if they have interest they should learn about ai and machine learning because i think that's the way forward and i would also like to thank you david for having me on the show uh because this helps me reach out to a lot of people and also get a chance to talk to you i think this has been very interesting for me and i hope that you know we have a a podcast soon maybe a sequel to this podcast looking forward to it
0: oh definitely i will uh um I would listen to the podcast, uh, multiple times. I think about it. I talk to other experts and stuff. And then there is, um, I think there's some things I want to return again with you on a podcast at a future time and, uh, talk on, uh, some other subjects that you've brought up. The one that's caught my attention is the, uh, your gestures because the, uh, you mentioned about completing sentences and uh, with the gestures, and I I like that because um, if you're just getting one word, you can't really understand what they're saying. You have to take the word in context of a whole sentence. So I think that is an area I want to return back with you. Definitely. Yeah. Talk more about how you did that. Okay, well, thanks, and I'll talk to you later. Yep. Thanks, Aven. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.